Hey C3, I just wanted to let you know what was going on with the kids ministry. We just finished the Armor of God unit and here's a couple of our kids saying the Bible verse that we've been learning the whole unit. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Ephesians 6, 11. 6 verse 11. Put the Put on the full armor of God that you will be able to stand the schemes of the devil. Good morning, C3 family. Are you ready to receive God's grace and to get to know him intimately? If you are, let's enter that together in five, four, three, two, one. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thanks for joining us. We are Christ Community Church. You guys stick around. We're going to play some worship songs. We're going to worship together. Larry's going to preach uh, an awesome message, and it's going to be a great day. Fellowship, what a joy divine, leaning on the everlasting arms. What a blessedness, what a peace is mine, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, I'm leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how sweet to walk in this pilgrim way. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, how bright the path grows from day to day. Leaning on the everlasting arms. Oh, I'm leaning, leaning, safe and secure from all alarms. Leaning, leaning, leaning on the everlasting arms. to dread what have i to fear leaning on the everlasting arms and i have blessed peace with my lord so dear leaning on the everlasting arms oh i'm leaning leaning safe and secure from all alarms I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. I'm leaning on the everlasting arms. 
Good morning, C3 family. This is our call to worship today. As we enter into his presence today, let us remember that God is with us and that he is for us because he loves us. Our scripture reading today is from Psalm 67. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will praise you. Let us pray. Lord, I call out to you on behalf of your people. Give us minds to receive wisdom and revelation so that we will truly know you. Open the eyes of our hearts and let the light of your truth flood in. Shine your light on the hope that you are calling us to embrace. Reveal to us your glorious riches that you are preparing for us as our inheritance. Let us see the extent of your power working in all those who believe. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Michael. Michael, Michael. Oh my good. Oh my goodness. I can't say Michael. Michael Shira for the call to worship this morning. Uh, I picked this next song because I think it's going to go great into Larry's message. So um, you guys sit back and listen. Listen along. Let me be filled with kindness and compassion for the one the one whom you loved gave a song for humanity increase my love so help me to love with open arms like you do a love that erases all the lines and sees the truth Oh, that when they look in my eyes, they would see you. Even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Oh, how you love us. From the homeless to the famous and in between. You formed us. You made us carefully Cause in the end We're all your children So help me to love with open arms Like you do A love that erases all the lines And sees the truth Oh that when they look in my eyes They would see you even in just a smile, they would feel the Father's love. Let all my life tell of who you are. The wonder of your never-ending love. Let all my life tell of who you are. That you're wonderful and such a good father. Let all my life tell of who you are. The wonder of your never ending love. 
spent all my life telling who you are That you're wonderful and such a good father That you're wonderful and such a good father So help me to love with open arms like you do A love that erases all the lines and sees the truth It would see you Even in just a smile They would feel the Father's love So help me to love with open arms Like you do A love that erases all the lines And sees the truth Oh, that when they look in my eyes They would see you Even in just a smile they would feel the Father's love Even in just a smile They would feel the Father's love Good morning. Welcome to Christ Community Church. We are very glad that you have chosen to join us. Uh, Christopher and gang, thank y'all. That's good stuff. Those of you that join us on a weekly basis, you'll notice that my lovely um, bride is not here with me today, and I'm very sad about that, and you probably are too. She is out of town uh, working on a book project, uh, and she's very excited about it and very passionate and diligent uh, in her efforts to, to work on that and finish that up. But anyway, I'm going to miss her being with us today, and I trust the Lord's got a word for us, and I hope that you'll uh, be open and receptive to what God wants to say to you in your life. Pray with me first as we begin. Father God, uh, I thank you that we can be together. I thank you that you've given us a copy of your word. I thank you for the truth and the power that it contains, that it is. And I pray that that truth, that power, from your word would enter into our hearts this morning and go deep and germinate and take root and grow and thrive and flourish and produce a mighty harvest in each of our lives. That's a that's big prayer, big request, but you're a big God and you're able to do that, more than able to do that, and we pray you would in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, my wife and I love... I think just about every movie, I can't remember an exception, we love every movie that Jack Nicholson has ever uh, been in. And one of the movies that we really love most of all that he's done is that movie, A Few Good Men. Um, most of you, I trust, have seen it. It's a, it's a great movie. Uh, got a lot of great actors and actresses in it. But uh, the, if you hadn't seen it, uh, just the gist of the movie is that um, there's a young Marine who is not cutting it, not living up to the expectations and standards that the Marines demand. And the, um, the head of the base where this young Marine is located, Jack Nicholson, he threw a through a, you know, the chain of command and sends two 
young fellow Marines to motivate this uh, inferior Marine, if you will, that's what Jack Nicholson calls him, uh, to do better. And in the process, uh, the young Marine that's struggling, he winds up dying. And really the whole movie is the investigation and the trial of the two Marines that were involved and responsible for the death of this other Marine. And they, great movie, you ought to see it. At the end of it, the very last scene is that uh, the, the two Marines are found guilty and they are uh, kicked out of the Marines uh, for what they did. And uh, one of the two Marines looks at the other one and says, why are they punishing us? We didn't do anything wrong. And the other Marine, the, the, the sharper of the two, he looked at the first fella and he said, well, we didn't do what we knew was right. First guy, we didn't do anything wrong. The second one, the sharper of the two, said, but we didn't do what we knew was right. I thought about that a lot, and that's sort of the basis for what we're going to be talking about today and studying in God's Word, um, a challenge from God's Word on not just avoiding that which is bad, but doing what is right, doing what is good. Um, I would think you'd agree with me that the church, big C, universal church, the church, sadly, has the reputation for emphasizing all the things that we shouldn't do to the expense of emphasizing the things that we should do, the things that are good and right. I think people, uh, to a large degree, when they think of the Bible, uh, they think the same thing. Um, that's the reputation of the Bible with a lot of people now. I would say dogmatically it's the reputation that the Bible has with people that have never read it, never studied it but that they see the Bible as really just a book full of prohibitions, uh, a list and list of all the things that we shouldn't do. That's not what the Bible is. Uh, and if you'll read it, you'll see what it is. But nonetheless, I think a lot of people think of the Bible as just a book full of prohibitions, all the things that we thou shalt not do. But I just want to challenge us today to consider the Bible declares throughout um, that the choosing, our choosing to do good and right is as important in the eyes of God as our commitment to avoid evil. Let me share with you two verses that emphasize that. Both in James, uh, the Lord's half-brother wrote this epistle. In James 2, James says, if you see a person in need, real need, and you do nothing to help them, your faith is dead. You didn't wrong them. You just saw that they were in need and you did nothing. In James theology, what that says is 
you've got some serious problems with your faith if you have faith at all. He goes on even more clearly in James chapter 4 to say it this way, to know what you ought to do and then not do it, that is sin. Wow. To know what you ought to do and not do it, that is sin. And you might think, well, that's, that's James. That's the Lord's brother, our half-brother. Um, what, 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 Jesus didn't see things that way, but I would challenge us all to consider the fact that he did very much see things that way. In fact, I'm gonna, I just picked three. I could have given numerous other examples, but Jesus consistently over and over again, in, uh, especially in his, in his parables, he emphasizes this very same thing that our, the, he emphasizes the importance of us doing what is good, not just trying to avoid what is bad. Let me use some examples. The, the most obvious example is a good Samaritan. You know the story. Two men walk by another man who uh, has been beaten and robbed and left for dead, uh, and they walk on by and go home. All they want is to be left alone. They want safety, and they want uh, to avoid the issue, and they go on home. They don't do anything wrong. They're not drunk. They're not snorting cocaine. They don't walk by and kick the guy or see if they can steal some more from him. All they do is nothing. Isn't that what Jesus is emphasizing there? The problem, the, 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 the wrongness of walking by someone in need that you can help and you do nothing. Same with the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. You know that story. There's a, there's a wealthy man who's living, the Bible says, in great luxury in a big wealthy house and full of feasting and wines and, and everything, having a big time. And Jesus never says that man's doing anything wrong. He never once criticizes the man's behavior. He never challenges uh, us to consider that the man is not living a good life. He's just living a big life. But every time he looks out the window, he sees another man in great need and poverty uh, in dire straits out in front of his house, out in front of the gate. Every time he leaves his home, to go and do all of the things that he needs to do, his business dealings and whatever else he's doing. He rides right. That, the, Jesus' parable of the rich man, he never once indicates that that man's a bad man, an evil man, up to no good, doing evil things. The point of that parable is clear. That man's wrongness, that man's failure, is not that he was doing evil. He just did nothing. I could go on and on and on. The parable uh, Jesus told of the, the king or the master with the three servants with the talents. And the master or the king gave each of three servants uh, three sets of talents, whether that's gold or abilities or opportunities, whatever. But he gives uh, 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 talents or opportunities or, or wealth to three different men and says, go and do much with those. The first man goes and comes back, and he's done incredible. Second man goes and comes back, and he's done really well. The third man comes back, and the king or the master rebukes that third man for using that money to buy 
booze and cocaine and go to bad places and do bad things. No, no, no. He rebukes that man severely, not because he used the money in wicked ways. The Bible says he just buried the money. He did nothing with it. All of those parables and many more parables and declarations of the Lord Jesus declare that in God's economy, to neglect doing what is good is at least as serious in God's economy as our commitment to avoid evil. I don't know how true this statement I'm about to make is. I'm just pondering it. I hope it's okay for me to share my ponderings with you. I trust that you do the same thing. Um, but I was just thinking about, I know that my Bible teaches that the cross, the place where Jesus died to create the atonement for my sin, I know that the cross is sufficient to atone for the evil that I do. My question that I've been asking myself is, is the cross sufficient to atone for the missed opportunities that God has given me to do good? I know it's sufficient to pay for my wickedness, the bad that I do. Is it sufficient to cover the missed opportunities that God has given me to do good? There's nothing, in my opinion, that makes a Christian, including me, tremble any more than to consider the judgment of God. Amos chapter 5 and uh, Revelation chapter 6, they're sort of mirror images, Old Testament picture and New Testament picture. They both describe judgment day, if you will, with this phrase, that dreadful day of God's accountability and wrath. Then Paul says in Hebrews chapter 10 that God will judge His people. Not all people, but his, God will judge His people. Oh, how dreadful to fall into the hands of the living God. I try to read a prayer out of the Book of Common Prayer every morning as a part of my uh, devotional life, my quiet time. And I found this prayer in the Book of Common Prayer. It says, Oh Lord, please deliver us in our hour of death and in the day of judgment. O Lord, deliver us from the hour of death and from the day of judgment. Christian art, Christian literature through the ages has depicted uh, the coming judgment of God. Uh, You see it in so many Uh, Dante's Inferno and so many pieces of art in museums and uh, on and on and on. Uh, this, this, This was a huge idea throughout Christian history that was expressed in art and literature. This coming day of God's judgment. And much of that art, much of that literature was based upon Jesus's, in my opinion, ghastly parable of the sheep and the goats in uh, Matthew chapter 25. And I want to read that to us real quick. You listen or take a copy of the scriptures if you've got it and turn to Matthew 25. Jesus says, when the Son of Man, I use the word ghastly to describe this. You see if you don't agree. When the Son of Man comes in His glory with all of His angels, He will sit on His glorious throne 
and all the nations will be gathered before him. And he'll separate the people as a shepherd separates sheep from goats. And he'll place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom that's been prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothes. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. And then these will reply to the Lord, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, thirsty and give you a drink, a stranger and invite you in, naked and give you clothes, see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will say, when you did it to the least of these, you were doing it to me. And then the king will say to those on the left, Away, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me in. Naked and you didn't give me clothes. Sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. And then they will reply, Lord... When did we see you hungry or thirsty, a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will reply, I tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, you are refusing to help me. Then they will experience eternal punishment. But the righteous will experience eternal life. There's a lot going on in that parable that I wish we had time to discuss, but the point that I hope stands out to you this morning is simply the significance that the goats were condemned by God not for doing bad, but for the avoiding of doing good. They neglected to do the good that they could have done and should have done. That suggests to me that God's gravest condemnation is reserved not for what is done in our lives, but for what is neglected. I tend, just if I'm going to be honest with you, and I bet you might be the same way, I tend to evaluate the goodness of my life based upon the evil that I avoid much more than the good that I do. But when I really think about that, where else in my life does that dog hunt? Where else does that work? Where else does somebody buy into that, that the avoidance of evil excuses the neglect of good in my life? Would policemen accept that? I'm driving down the road going 100 miles an hour. I am neglecting the obedience of the speed limit. And the policeman stops me, and before he writes in, I say, hey, but I, I didn't rob that liquor store when I got gas. Do you think the policeman would go, oh, since you didn't do bad, that gives excuse for neglecting to obey the speed limit? No. My wife's been a teacher for 40 years. Never once have I heard her come home and tell me, well, I had this little girl that didn't turn in her term paper, but you know... I told her it was okay, don't worry about it, I'm going to give you an A anyway, because you helped the soccer team or the volleyball team 
uh, uh, win the, the, the state tournament or you, did, you got an A-plus on the art project you did for another teacher. No, no, no. The good that she did in other areas of life does not neglect the fact that she did not work hard and do what she needed to do on that term paper. Rare is the week that I don't have a couple that comes in, different faces, different names, but they come in and they sit on that couch. And at some point, one of them gets really upset and says, I'm unhappy. My maid is not doing the things they need to do to make me happy and I'm miserable. And immediately, 100% of the time, the other mate starts in and says, yeah, but look at all the things that I'm doing right. I work hard. I pay the bills. I provide this nice house for you. Uh, on and on. I, mow, I take care of the yard. I take the kids to the to their sports things. You ought to be glad for what I do. And what they're saying is, the good that I do should excuse that which I'm not doing. And obviously, uh, often it's the wife who will say, but when you come home at night, you immediately go and sit in front of the TV and you never engage in my life. You never tell me about your day. You never ask me about mine. But all, look at all the good that I'm doing. Shouldn't that negate that which I'm not doing? And the wife says, no. My husband lights into her and says, uh, I'm unhappy, I'm miserable. You're not doing the things that I need as a wife. And uh, she'll me say, I'm cooking you good suppers. I keep your house clean. I help pay the bills. I'm raising your children on and on and on. I called your mother uh, and checked on her, you know, on, on, all these things. And the husband, but the husband says, but you're not doing the things that I need you to do. Her good deeds don't negate the neglect of what she should be doing. Where in my life do I excuse or minimize the neglect of good that I know God wants me to do because I am somehow avoiding evil in other areas of my life or I'm doing good in other areas of my life? I think there's a real danger for all serious followers of Jesus. If we don't get this, if we don't see this, if we don't embrace this, the importance of doing the good we know we're supposed to do. If we don't, if we don't see this, there's a real danger for serious followers of Jesus to feel smug and satisfied and justified and spiritually superior because of the bad that we avoid rather than doing the good we know we should do. God has not called us just to avoid evil. Do you understand that? Do I see that? That God has not just called us to avoid evil. God has called us to be like Jesus. And what did Jesus do? If all Jesus cared about was avoiding evil, He'd have stayed in heaven. But He left the place of perfection and holiness and righteousness and purity, a place without any sin, without any wickedness. He left that and came down to this broken, sin-filled, dark-filled, hate-filled world. And he engaged. And he did good. He didn't just avoid bad. He did good. And God has called us to do 
the same thing. Where in my life am I neglecting the good that I know God has called me to do? In my words, my marriage, my family, my work, in my devotional life, my relationship to the church, in, in my uh, life of worship, in my life of charity and generosity to those in need, the use of my spiritual gifts, in my broken relationships. What I, People will tell me all the time, and I say it myself, well, yeah, that relationship's broken, but I didn't do wrong. I did, as if my not doing wrong is an excuse not to do right, to do what God's told me to do, to try to heal and repair that damaged relationship, even if I don't feel like I'm culpable. I want to read one more passage of Scripture as we end. It's in Luke chapter 18. You know the passage very well. Listen to it in the context of what we've been talking about today. Jesus told this parable to, to people who had great confidence in their own righteousness and that scorn everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed, I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, people who are cheaters and sinners and adulterers and certainly, certainly not like this tax collector here. I fast twice a week. I do good things. I fast twice a week and I give a tithe of all my income. But the tax collector stood in the back in shame and sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This sinner, this tax collector, not the Pharisee, has returned home justified in the eyes of God. Notice what that Pharisee said. God, I thank you that I'm not like people who are guilty of such blatant and visible sins. I don't take revenge. I don't retaliate. But do I ask forgiveness and give forgiveness like God wants me to? I don't tell bald-faced lies, but do I neglect the speaking of the truth that I know my mate really wants to hear? Do I leave out the parts that I want to leave out? Do I neglect telling the whole truth? Do I neglect telling her of my struggles, my fears, my desires? Do I avoid that which will, has the potential for creating conflict? I thank you, God, that I don't embezzle and steal at work. But do I neglect the giving of my boss, my job, a full hard day's work? Maybe I don't embezzle. Maybe I don't steal. But how much time at work do I spend on Facebook or Amazon or or uh, looking up these ancestry to the end of my great-great-granddaddy was on the Mayflower. I thank you, God, that I don't cheat or uh, cheat on or hit or abandon my wife. But do I neglect giving my wife the words, the touch, the time, the service, and the intimacy that my mate so desperately desires? I don't, God, I thank you that I don't cuss and scream and slap my kids. But do I neglect giving them the love, the healing, the wisdom, the spiritual growth, and the, rec the, the reconciliation that they so desperately want? 
I don't, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people who rob and attack the poor. But do I neglect the good, the mercy, and the generosity that God wants me to show? God, I thank you that I'm not like other people who deny and reject you. But do I neglect doing the things faithfully, consistently, that will help me know you, God, love you, God, trust you, God, follow you, God, serve you, God. You see how it's a very different shift of focus to focus on am I doing the things that I know God has called me to do versus just finding some kind of a shallow satisfaction in the fact that I haven't done certain wicked things. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm very thankful that the Lord Jesus didn't just focus on avoiding evil. He left heaven, the Bible says, and He came down and gave His life on the cross, giving His body and shedding His blood so that I, so that you would have the opportunity to have our sins forgiven, our names written in the book of life, we could be adopted into God's family, and we could experience eternal life forever. I'm thankful for that. And we, as a church, eat bread and drink juice or wine as a way of just declaring we believe that Jesus did not avoid evil. In fact, the Bible says He became evil so that we could become the righteousness of God. Let's eat and drink and celebrate and remember and rejoice in that incredible gift. I bless you today for being with us. I hope that you have a wonderful week. And I hope that you and I hope that I will focus more intently on becoming a people who not just avoid evil, they're not just known for what we don't do, but we're known for the good that we do instead. Bless you.
His great faithfulness finish all He's begun. Take courage, my heart. Stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting. He's in the waiting. Hold on to your hope as your triumph unfolds. He's never failing. He's never failing. So you hold the stars. Who call them each by name Will surely keep your promise to me That I will rise in your victory So take courage, my heart Stay steadfast, my soul He's in the waiting He's in the waiting As your triumph unfolds, he's never failing, he's never failing. Oh, take courage, my heart, stay steadfast, my soul. He's in the waiting, he's in the waiting. Hold on to your heart, as your triumph unfolds, he's never failing, he's never failing. Slow down, take time, breathe in, he said, he'll reveal what's to come. Hey, thanks again for joining us for Christ Community Church. We'll be back next week, 1015, Facebook Live and YouTube Live. Please come back and uh, we'll play some more songs. We'll worship together. Larry's going to preach again next week. It's going to be a great week next week too. Come on back. Y'all have a good week.